the first uh, Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. Open your Bible. Come on, open up your Bible. First Thessalonians. Come on, first Thessalonians. It's after uh, Ephesians, after Colossians, after Philippians. Should be right there. How many Bibles do we have in the house tonight? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, God, all the I Bibles. Man, I, I tell you, in the next five years, that's all there's going to be is, is there's not even going to be Bibles and paper anymore. It's just, it's just that's just what's going to happen. It's sad. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. I'm going to talk a lot about Jesus tonight. So if you get old, if it gets old, sorry. Told you I'm never going to stop. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. You there? Is there anybody in the house tonight? Anybody? I mean, is anybody done with school in the house tonight? <laughs> anybody excited for, for Christmas? Anybody excited for Christmas? Anybody excited to open up some presents? Anybody excited to give some presents? <laughs> I'm really, no, I'm not. <laughs> okay, I'm just, I'm just being honest. Let's just be honest. We're more excited to open presents than give presents. Maybe maybe that's just, okay, you're a giver, and you're better than me, and I just give you that, Dominic. I, and I believe you. I believe you. You actually do like giving things to people. It's pretty amazing. So I, I'm your friend, so you can give me. Okay, First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. Verse 11, are you there? You there? Okay. We are in a series. What's the series on? Yeah, see, Jesus is a good series. But we're in a series called One Anothering. Say One Anothering. One Anothering. Good series, right? Sweet. Okay, feel better already. I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna, gonna to preach a lot better tonight now. First Thessalonians 5.11 series is One Anothering. This is the next uh, topic of One Anothering. Therefore, say therefore. Encourage. Say encourage. Say encourage. Therefore, encourage one another and, say and, build up. Say build up one another, one another, just as you also are doing. Our passage, our scripture for the night is right there. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. Our series is One Anothering. It's this idea we're trying to find out what was the community that God had in mind when his son hung on a cross and died for us. What was the community? What was the relationship? What was it that God had in mind for you, say me, and I, say you? What was the community that God had in mind for us when he sent his son? And so we're talking about one anothering. One anothering is a phrase. One another is a phrase that's used throughout the entirety of the New Testament multiple times uh, by multiple different writers describing and explaining what we should do to and for one another in view of how much God loves us, in view of how he saved us in view that you're my brother, you're my sister, we are brothers and sisters, and if you believe in Jesus Christ and continue to believe in him, you will be with him and me forever. Get used to it. 
And if we're going to do this thing called church and do this thing called community and do this thing called following Jesus, there is a type of community that God has in mind for us. Does, that, does this make sense? Six of you. Does this make sense? One anothering is trying to describe, we're trying to describe, we're trying to define what a community looks like that God had in mind. So we've been doing a series. You can get the rest of them on podcast tonight. We're talking about encourage and build up one another. Amen? Okay, let's pray. Lord, tonight we thank you so much that you hold us in your hand. As you hold the stars and as you hold the sky and as you hold the universe and as you hold this earth, God, you hold us, you have us, you're with us, you're for us, you have plans to prosper us and to bless us. You have good plans to bless us and not to harm us, to encourage us and to build us up and not to tear us down and to destroy us. Father, we ask that tonight you would remind us of what you've done in us and what you've done to us and what you've done for us. God, we ask tonight that you would encourage our hearts and cause us and teach us to be people who are encouragers and builders rather than those who discourage and tear down. We bless you. We love you. We thank you. We don't always love you, but we love you as much as we know how. In Jesus' name, amen. In Christianity, you have your highs and you have your you have your highs and you have your it's okay to say lows like you're not less holy if you don't if you don't say low like i don't ever have lows wow well then you must be an angel or something because i have lows and i know that reed and reed and i go shopping at lows i mean uh, reed has uh lows uh we we are we are humans humanoids we have emotions and we have feelings and we get discouraged. What do you do when you fall into a pit? What do you do when you hit the pit? What do you do when you get discouraged? What do you do when you question your faith? What do you do when you lack motivation to get up and do the dishes? What do you do when you lack motivation to tell your mom you love her? What do you do when you lack motivation to encourage the person that's lockers right next to you and they're rude to you all the time? What do you do when your teacher is really rude to you, but you have no motivation to love her or to bless her or to be nice to her? What do you do when somebody who has been rude to you all year long is rude to you again? What, what do you do when a family member passes away? What do you do when you don't want to serve Jesus anymore? What do you do when you don't want to love anymore? What do you do when you burn out? Say burn out. Not in, out. Burn out in sounds weird. You ready to eat it in and out? It's really good. That goes in and out. What do you do when you burn out? What do you do when you get discouraged or you hit rock bottom? What do you do? What do you do when you say, I don't really want to go to church anymore? What do you do when you wake up in the morning and you go, Man, I, don't, I don't want to brush my teeth. I don't want to take a shower. I don't want to read my Bible. 
I sure as heck don't want to say hi to my parents. I don't want to go to school. I don't really want to be living today. What do you do when you're not motivated? What do you do? What's your motivation? What's your inspiration? What's your encouragement? Where do you find your confidence? When you hit the pit, (laughs) sounds disgusting. When you hit the pit, what do you do? We all do something. Some of us stay in the pit. Some of us are more determined and disciplined than others. We crawl out of the pit. Some of us are in the pit right now and don't know how to get out of the pit. Some of you will be in the pit eventually one day in your life. You'll come to a place where you're questioning or you're in a tough time or something happens in your life where you just aren't necessarily motivated. Your, your flesh isn't always going to want to. You are not naturally always going to want to love people. I'm sorry. Is, it, is that true? I mean, can we be honest? Like, that's just true. Like, I'm not speaking death over you. I'm speaking truth over you. I'm trying to help you face the reality that you're not just, you're not, you're not made perfect yet. One day, the Bible says you will see Jesus. <laughs> I laugh at this because it's amazing. You will see him and you'll be made perfect in the twinkle of an eye. You'll be made, but right now you're not perfect. And you have these two conflicting desires. You have a dichotomy going on inside of all of you. One part of you is saying Jesus. The other part of you is saying myself. So what do you do when 60% of you wants yourself and what you want and the 40% of you wants Jesus? I didn't really want it. Have sex with that person? I just, no, you really did because you wouldn't have if you didn't. I didn't really want to say that to my mom. No, you, you did. You did say that to your mom. It was rude. What do you do when you fail? What do you do when you blow it? What do you do when you fall into a pit? I'm asking you. Listen to me. That's fine. But I want you to think for a moment and ask yourself, If you were in a pit, what would you do? If you were in a place where you are completely burnt out and tired and done, you would want to get out of it. But my question is how? What are your tools? Why get out of the pit? Gosh, Gabriel, you're real inspirational. I know. Really good at this stuff. No, but really, why? Like, why get out of the pit? Why don't you just stay down there? Think about that. Why? I'm not saying you should stay in the pit. I'm just asking, why get out? Because if you ask why you get out, that'll tell you what your motivation is. Anybody ever been there before? Can we just show hands? Come on, anybody ever, please. Thank you. So I know that I'm not the only one. Gosh. So do you, do you just, do you stay? No, most of us, because we're humans, we're survivors. Say, I am a survivor. See, as Christians, we need to learn that it's okay to be a failure and not a survivor. See, as humanoids, 
We've been trained and we've trained ourselves to do the, do the best we can to survive. But God wants to get us to a place where we're okay with failing. Because if we're okay with failing, then we can reach out for a Savior. But as long as we try to survive, we will never have or meet or encounter the Savior. But as quick, the quicker we get to a point of, I'm a failure, then we can embrace Him who is victorious. And if you embrace Him, then you're not a failure, you're victorious. So, so, what do you, so what do you do? Okay, let's transition. What do you do when your friend is burnt out? What, what, do you, what do you do? What do you do if somebody in the church that you know is discouraged, is frustrated, is confused, is lacking motivation, is lacking desire? Let me ask it this way. What is your mode of inspiration? I'm, 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 this is a great answer, but re- this is rhetorical. Somebody said Moose's tooth. Gosh, I need to preach quick because I want to go there tonight. <laughs> rhetorical, thank, thank, thank. What, what, what is your mode of inspiration? What is the tool that you take? I'm going to get this person out of the pit. Because if you're going to help somebody, because I think most of us are like, well, we're, we're some good people, you know, help some people. And I think for the most part, you guys are all some nice people. But if you don't help them out of the pit with the right mode, they will fall right back into the pit. And they won't know how to get out. And you'll become their savior. You following me? I'm speaking in some like, kind of broad terms now, but I'm, I'm trying to help us understand that we get discouraged, we get teared down, we can get burnt out, we can get tired if we lose motivation. And others around us can as well. It's real. And my question is, what is it that motivates you to live this life for Jesus? And what is it that you use to help to motivate and inspire others to live this loving life for and with Jesus? Is that clear? What is it? Rhetorical. And I think most of us naturally would say, Jesus. And I think 90% of us would say that, but I think most of us don't actually have that. Just as an interjection, did the power go out tonight, or was that just me? <laughs> oh, I thought it was. The tree was still good? For real, do, is that on a generator or something? We burned the tree! Totally random. What was I talking about? What's that? Yeah, 90% of us. Thanks, bro. Most of us would say that our, our reason for life is Jesus. But I think if we're really honest, um, if, if our reason for life was Jesus, we would never burn out. And I believe, I believe, listen to me, I believe that there is a life that God has planned for you. There is a type of lifestyle that he has planned for you that, 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 that has no burnout in the equation. 
There is a type of life that God has for you where there is where there is no there is no point in your life that He has planned for you where where you just don't want Him anymore. There is a type of life that God has for you where you actually desire to read your Bible. There is a type of life that God has for you that you actually want to pray and talk to God. There is a real type of life that God has planned for you and destined for you that you actually want to sing praise songs to God. You actually want to come early to pre-service prayer because you want to pray for God's people. There is a type of life that God has planned for you, say me, and me, say you. There is a type of life that God has planned for us that we actually want to live godly. This isn't, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't fake. This is real. There's a real life. There's, it's really possible. Like you can really actually have a motivation and an inspiration to actually want to love somebody that curses you and, and tears you down and is root. There is actually Something that can motivate you, that will give you a desire and a yearning to wake up in the morning and pick up your Bible that has been written for the past 6,000 years. Stop about 2,000 years ago. It was written over 6,000 years with multiple different writers from multiple different places all over the world. A bunch of old people not even living anymore to pick it up and actually want to read it because you will come to know God. There is a motivation for you and for me that will actually make you and cause you to want to read that book it's real because i experience it because i didn't want to but i actually want to i actually desire to i i don't have to, i don't have to try to think of reasons there is a reason it's not because i've read my bible so much Better read my Bible today because I read it so much yesterday. <laughs> that's that's great logic. Because <laughs> then if you don't read your Bible yesterday, then you'll just never read your Bible. <laughs> well, I didn't read my Bible yesterday, so I might as well not read it today. What? Well, you know, I haven't been reading my Bible the past week, so what would another week be, you know? <laughs> haven't been to church in a month. What would another month be? I haven't. I haven't told my mom how appreciative I am of her in about a year. What would another year be? You want a New Year resolution? Be thankful with your parents. That's a good New Year resolution. It's real. It's real life. You can actually want to. Paul, say Paul. I talk about Paul a lot. Usually I talk about Jesus a lot. And then I try and talk about Paul a little bit too. Because he was somebody that was in love with uh, Jesus. And, and always wanted to uh, help the people understand who Jesus was. So was Peter and James and John. But Paul constantly came across discouraged, unmotivated, and burnt out believers. <laughs> Maybe there's some of us here tonight that are just... Burnout, constipated, I mean, sorry, uh, burnout, discouraged. <laughs> if you're constipated, <laughs> oh, 
I'll pray for you. <laughs> Lord, help me. Uh, some of us in here tonight, you might be, I almost said constipated again. You might be discouraged, frustrated, burnt out, unmotivated. I know that for sure we've all experienced something like that before. I don't really want to sing tonight. Paul came across people like you and I all the time. And he had a way of motivating them. He had a way of getting them to be encouraged. Paul gave his life. Paul gave his entire life. He gave the entirety of his rest of his life to chase after people and tell them a message that would encourage them no matter what they experienced. Paul gave us of his, of his entire life just to see people strong in their faith and confident in what God is doing. Paul, if you don't know, was originally Saul. Saul was his Jewish name. Paul was his uh, Greco-Roman name. Uh, usually back in those days, because uh, the Jews or the people uh, of those days that lived in Jerusalem because they were so influenced by Alexander the Great and the uh, the movement that he brought throughout the entire Eastern world. Uh, Greek and the Greco perspective and philosophies and ideologies and all those things came in. The Hellenistic movement, you probably studied it in history. And with all those things, uh, of course, came their language. And so when Jews who lived in Jerusalem, who were influenced by, uh, good to see you, Cassidy, who were influenced by Greek thinking and Greek people and Greek language, uh, they usually had two names. They would go by two different names. And so Paul, uh, his real name in the Jewish, he was born as Saul, but when he would talk with Greco-Roman, Greek-speaking people or relate with Greek, Gentile, unbelieving Jewish people, they would call him Paul. And so he became known as the Apostle Paul because his primary, min pri primary ministry was to uh, Gentile uh, pagan people who were not Jewish people. Are you following me? So, so Paul, Paul was this guy who originally was Saul, lived this life, devout Jew, who gave his life to defend the, the purity of God's people and to defend the purity of the Word of God, to defend the purity of what of what Jewish people should live like and look like and talk like and act like. And anybody who came against that, uh, they should be either A, condemned, or uh, they should be converted over. And so Saul was going around killing Christians. You may have heard me talk about this many times. Maybe for some of you who haven't heard this before, I want to talk about who Paul is real quick. So, so Paul, who was Saul, went around literally when this whole Jesus movement started and people started saying that Jesus was this Messiah that was promised from thousands and thousands of years, or hundreds and thousands of years beforehand, not hundreds of thousands, but hundreds and thousands of years beforehand, this Jesus was promised. They were saying that just Jesus was God. And Paul was like, this is blasphemy. Saul was like, this is blasphemy. This is horrible. We've got to kill these people. So they were chaining these people up. Paul, Saul, was going around taking people, binding them up, and bringing them back. And they, most of the time, were sentenced to death. And Saul was one of the main guys who led this. One day, he was on a horse. Jesus would knock them up off the horse shone a bright light in his face. He was blinded for three days. Somebody came, prayed for him. His eyes were open, and he gave the rest of his life for Jesus because Jesus called him, saved him, chose him, transformed him. He became the, arguably the greatest leader in the church ever. 
past, present, future. Paul was in his own category. The guy had a the guy understood and comprehended more about who God is and what he had done and what he was doing than anybody probably ever had and probably has. And that's why he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. This guy went all over the known world, all around the Mediterranean Sea, and encouraged discouraged people. Are you following me? He had a mode. He had a way, and he had a tool, and he had a way of going about this. If you go to 1 Thessalonians 4, we just read 1 Thessalonians 5. I want to read 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter, chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read probably 10 verses. I need you to hang in there with me for 10 verses. Good verses, but still 10. Bless you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and it says this in the New Living Translations, and now, say now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Context, real quick. Say people. Come on, say people. Dying. That's the context. People in Thessalonica were being killed because of their faith. You following me? Real people, real families, like you and I living in a real world like Earth, (laughs) in a real city like Anchorage, And their families were dying. And so, I don't know about you, but if my family was dying, it'd be pretty easy to be discouraged. So Paul writes them and says, hey guys, I want to remind you of some things so that you don't grieve like somebody who has no hope. I'm not saying you don't grieve because grieving is important as a human being that loses a family member. But how you grieve is even more important. We want to grieve like those who have hope, right? We don't want to grieve like those who have no hope. So people are dying, and he writes. He says, for since we believe. Now listen, context, discourage people, and here he goes. You ready? You ready? This is, this is Paul's mode. This is what Paul gave his life to. This is in our Bible. This is what Paul said is, should be the mode of motivation. You following me? Come on, you following me. Come on now with me. For since we believe. Say we. Come on, say we. With an attitude, with a conviction. Love you guys. Have a good night. With an attitude, with conviction. Say we. For we believe. Say believe. Do you believe? For since we believe, I almost broke that mic. Do we believe? Do we believe? For since we believe that Jesus, who? For since we believe that Jesus died, what did he do? And, hold on a minute. I am so thankful that the book doesn't stop right there. Wouldn't that have sucked? We believe that Jesus died. Well, that sucks. 
I, I know a lot of people that died. <laughs> and was raised to life again. That, what, what do we believe? That Jesus died and that he was raised to life again. We also believe that when Jesus returns, so three things. He died, he rose again, and he's coming back. God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the, when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout. With the voice of the archangel, better than Bieber. And what did I say? Oh. And with the trumpet call of God. First, the Christians who have died will rise from their graves. Then, together with them, we who are still alive and remain will rise from... What the heck? And remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Then... I'm I'm excited because that 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 passage, I mean, it, it, the book could just stop right there and I'd be good for the rest of my life. Did you just read what I just read? Anybody? Did you just hear what I just read? Then say then we will be with the Lord forever. And then he finishes the chapter and says, so, say so. Come on, say so. So encourage each other with these words. Paul had a mode of inspiration. He had a mode of motivation to encourage the people. Encourage each other with these words. We'll keep reading because it gets better. Now concerning, verse chapter 5, verse 1, now concerning how and when all this will happen, the end times, right? He's pretty much saying this. This is what he's saying. Look, if you believe in Jesus and you die, don't worry. The people that die that believe in Jesus will one day be with him forever. And all of us who are still here when he comes back are going to be with him. And we're all going to be with him forever. It's going to be a big old party. And that, that's what we believe. So if you're discouraged, and people are dying, just be encouraged because if they believe, it's all good. It's actually better for them than it is for you. <laughs> Easy. Then he goes on. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we goodness, we don't really even need to write about that. But you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. People are saying, man, everything is peaceful and secure. Then a disaster will fall on them. Boom, got them, suckers. Okay. And suddenly, I shouldn't even joke about that. What happened? And suddenly, as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, there will be no escape. So he's like, look, this is going to happen quickly. And it's going to happen like a thief in the night. And whenever he's saying, oh, everything is good, Jesus ain't coming up for thousands of years, poof, there he is. Like, 
like a pregnant woman's labor pains. I don't know about you. I haven't been pregnant before. But my wife was pregnant once. She's pregnant again. And, man, when she went into labor pains, it was like a thief in the night. <laughs> For real, actually, I was sleeping, too. <laughs> and uh, she wasn't. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, bro, like one of those dreams, Bryce, that you just don't want to wake up from. You know, you're just, oh. And then, my sister-in-law's like, wake up. Her water broke. I'm like, dang, let's go. You know? Like, I was not expecting that. You know, I jumped up, like, throwing on my underwear on top of my jeans. It was weird. And running out the door, and she's, you know, water, baby's coming. Like, quick. Two hours later, I'm holding the baby in my hands. And that's what the day will be like, man. When Jesus comes back, we'll all just be chilling, hopefully eating mooses too, drinking some soda. And poof. I don't even know what it'll look like. I don't know how it'll happen. I don't know how quick it'll happen. I don't know how he's going to show himself to everybody all over the world. Maybe it'll be through television. I don't even know. But I know it's going to be crazy. I know it's going to be the end of the world, but the beginning of a new one. Because, guys, you aren't in the dark about these things. I'm thankful I'm not in the dark about this. Because there's people that we know that are in the dark about this. They're like, man, I don't even know. I think life's about uh, pizza and video games. You're like, man, life must suck for you. Excuse my language, but for real. He goes, you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We won't belong to darkness and light. We don't belong to that. So be on guard. Don't fall asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and get drunk. Let us who live in the light be clear-headed protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. I'd love to talk about that all night, but I can't. Verse 9, for God chose. Now, here's going back into it again. Say chose. To save us. Say me and say we. He chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. Sounds like he's saying the same thing again, isn't it? And he says so. Say so. He says so twice now. The first time he says the same thing he just said, and then he says it again. And he says it this, verse 11, our key verse for tonight. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. There is only one mode of motivation that God has for you and for me, and yes, his name is Jesus. There is only one reason to get up out of the pit. There is only one reason to wake up in the morning and read your Bible. There is only one primary and sole reason to get up and actually give your life to love people. There is actually really one real motivation to actually get up in the morning, do some dishes, brush your teeth, take a shower maybe. I don't know if you do it at night or you do it in the morning. I do both because I like to be clean. I don't know how you do it, but get up, get clean, love somebody, Give your life for Jesus and for his people and for those who don't know him. There is only one reason, and his name is Jesus, and it's what he did. It's what he is doing. 
and it's what he will do. It's Jesus. It always has been Jesus. It is Jesus, and it always will be Jesus. God's not going to change the motivation. He's not going to switch it out because that don't work. It works. You know why you should get up and read your Bible? Well, first of all, if you believe in Jesus, well, then you should get up and read your Bible because God loves you so much, and he saved you, and he's adopted you, and he's made you his son or his daughter. And you can read the Bible to learn more about what that looks like and what he's done for you and how good he is. I want to know about that, so I want to read my Bible. And secondly, I want to read my Bible when I get in the morning because I want to know, man, if this is real, how should I live my life? And how should I serve? And how should I give? And how should I pray? And how should I love? What does love look like? What do you mean love? I, love is hard. That, that's a big word. That has a lot of characteristics to it. Define love for me, God. Well, he does. He defines what your life should look like. The motivation to read your Bible is not to become more perfect. The motivation to read your Bible is because God has eternally made you perfect, and you want to read about it and learn how to live your life in view of it. And it makes you more perfect, actually. It's part of the tool that he uses to help form you and transform you and make, him more like, make you more like him. There is only one motivation. There's only one primary and sole motivation and reason to come to church and praise Jesus. It's because of what he did. <laughs> it's because of how amazing he is. It's because of what he's doing right now. It's because, there, because, because in heaven, there's thousands of angels constantly worshiping him. And there's thousands and millions of people that believe like you and I that are with him now. And they're made perfect. And they're standing before him. And they don't know what else to say other than you are worthy. You are holy. There's no one like you. I'm just going to sing about you to the day I die. But I won't die. So I'm just going to keep doing it. There is only one reason and it's jesus there's only one reason to love somebody it's because of jesus it's because of what jesus did it's what jesus is doing it's what jesus will do why do i say all three of those because there's faith and there's hope faith is believing in what god did you follow me? What God did and who God is and what God is doing and what God will do. Hope is this expectation of what will happen when I see him face to face. And though my time and though my trials and my pains now may be horrible, I have this hope of what he will do that gets me through in the meantime. And between faith and hope is this a little word, but amazing four-letter word that we all give our life for, which is love. There's three things that remain. It's my faith in what Jesus has done, my faith in what Jesus is doing, my faith in what Jesus will do, my faith in who God is, my hope in what he will do. And in the meantime, I'm going to love, love, love because of all of that. And if your reason to love is so that people will love you, your reason is wrong and you will eventually get tired of it. If your reason to come and sing songs is that maybe you'll feel God, your motivation is wrong. It can be a secondary motivation. That's fine. If you want to feel God, that's not necessarily wrong. 
But if your primary motivation to come and sing songs and to sing songs while you're driving and to sing songs of praise when you wake up in the morning is because he's good, that's a good motivation, and that motivation will never burn out. Because you know what will burn out is that you may not feel him every day, and you may not feel him for an entire year. And if that's your primary motivation, then you won't get up and worship God. But if your motivation is because of what he's done, then that motivation will never burn out because him and what he has done doesn't burn out. Are you following me? There is only one mode of encouragement. And I want, I'm, some say, Gabriel, you're kind of redundant. You kind of say the same thing over and over again. I know. I know. And the problem with us as humanoids is that we're always looking for something new. There's nothing else new. There's nothing else coming. There's only one man. There's only one message. There's only one gospel. It's it, and it's good enough. And you can't be too over-communicating about it. You can't talk about this Jesus too much. You know what? People in the church need the message of the gospel just as much as the people in the world. Because it is our message. It is our life. It is our hope. It is our security. It is our confidence. It is our reason. It is our motivation. So I'm reminding you again, like I did last week, and like I will if I sit with you at coffee, and like I will if I'm 50 years old, I'm going to keep telling you because if you forget this simple truth that it's all about him and what he did and what he's doing and what he will do, forget that, then you will fall in a pit and stay in a pit. But if you're in a pit, you can get out of a pit because there's a reason, and his name is Jesus. Don't get out of the pit so you can, so people might think you're cool. Don't get out of a pit so you can change the world. Don't get out of a pit so you can make a difference. Don't get out of a pit so you can make a mark. Don't get out of a pit so you can see God do something incredible. Get out of the pit because God has done something incredible. Because you know what? The mark that you think you want to leave may not happen. But the mark that God wants you to leave will happen. So don't set your hope and your security on the mark that you want to leave. Set your hope and your security on the mark that God left. I, I want to live a life where my fuel doesn't run out. You know, there's a Bible verse. Jesus says this amazing thing in John chapter 4. You will never thirst again. Streams of living water will flow out of you. That's real. What I'm talking about is that you can actually be constantly motivated. But if your motivation, your inspiration, your encouragement, and your building up comes from anything other than what I've been talking about tonight, it will only be it will only be temporary. It will only be temporary. So what do you do? How do you encourage each other when we're in a tough time? Well, when somebody dies, they don't need you to preach at them. They need you to be with them. And we could talk about that for a long time. But how do you encourage somebody? Don't say, hey, we, we need to start serving Jesus so, so, that this, so our city changes. 
heard that. I've heard that before. Gets old. Gets real old. Yeah, I'm gonna say it again. It gets old, and I'm gonna be bold and say it again. It's, it gets old. It's not doing this so our city changes. Because that may not happen. If it doesn't happen, then I'll give up. I'm doing this because of Jesus. <laughs> and I can stand strong and tall in that. And I can wake up. And be con- I don't read my Bible so my city changes. I don't read my Bible so my parents get saved. I don't pray so my family gives their life to Jesus. I don't pray so that the whole city gets saved and changed. I pray because of what Jesus has done. And I do pray and ask that he would change our city and he would save people that are in my life, of course. But what is your primary? You following me? What is your primary? Because those secondaries will fail. Our city may not be completely radically transformed for another thousand years. I don't know what it's going to look like. We might be a grain in the sand, and it might be very important. I'm not trying to discourage that. I want to see our city and God do amazing things in your family and my family. Yes, for sure. But really, my job is not to try to change our city. My job by God, is to be here to stand before you and encourage you in what you believe and remind you of the truth that you once believed, that you'd stand firm in it, that you'd not be shaken and moved from it, that you would truly believe and come to a place of assurance that you know that Jesus really came and lived. He really did. He really was born of a virgin. Her name was Mary. And he really did live a life as a carpenter. He's a real man. You can read him in your history books. He really did amazing things like healing sick people and walking on water. He really did do amazing things like raising people from the dead. And he spoke with authority that none had ever seen past, present, and ever will see. He was an amazing man who multiplied food and fed thousands of people with a few loaves of bread and some fish. He was perfect and spotless, never sinned, never broke a commandment, did everything that his God and Father asked him to do. He really did. Some will call him a prophet. Others will call him a good man. Others will call him a good teacher. Well, if you call him a prophet, a good man, and a good teacher, I don't know about you, but he's either those things or he's a liar because him as a good man, a prophet, and a teacher, he said that he was God. And they killed him for it. And it was destined. Because Jesus, as one who was blameless, took your sin and my sin upon him. And he received the wrath of God that was for you and it was for me. And it killed him physically. He died. Blameless. Spotless. He went to the slaughter as one as a lamb that goes, but he didn't scream. He didn't defend himself. He didn't say, wait a minute, I was just kidding. He hung up there for hours, breathed his last breath, went into a tomb. They made sure that he was dead by stabbing a spear into his heart, and blood and water gushed out just to make sure, yet the guy's dead. And then they put him in a tomb put a big stone in front of him just to make sure that he couldn't get out. Because, man, there's, there's some disciples that are radical. They might come beat him up or something and take the guy out of there and say he rose again. So they put some guards there to guard it. Ain't that nothing going to stop Jesus, man. He rolled that stone away. And three days later, he came out. 
And he showed himself to over 500 people just to make sure that they knew, hey, I wasn't kidding with you. I really am the guy. I really am the man. I really am the Messiah. I really am the one. And I'm coming back. I promise you, I'm coming back. But in the meantime, I want you to go tell everybody about who I am and what I have done and tell them to live for me. They're like, that's it? He goes, yeah, that's it. Love each other. Don't stop loving each other. Don't stop telling people about me. I'll be back. Now he's in heaven. And 50 days after that, he poured out his spirit. Somehow, God's spirit came out of heaven and went into the hearts of human beings. And now every single person that believes in that Jesus and what he did has the Holy Spirit living and dwelling inside of them. And they are God's chosen people. They are, the, they, they are his prized possession. They are his, his adopted children. And they are his forever, and no one and nothing can snatch him out of, their, of his hand. He's coming back. The Bible says soon, so I'm going to be safe and say it'll be soon. Soon may be another thousand years. Soon may be next year. I don't know. And I'm not even going to guess because everybody has their theories. I have no theory. I'm not, I wasn't asked to come up with some theories. Maybe others were. I think it's stupidity, but I don't have a theory of when God's coming back. I just know I'm supposed to be ready. I'm supposed to be preaching and loving and giving my life for him and my family and for those he's given me. But he's coming back. And we won't be put to shame. We won't be, when he comes back, he's going to have a smile on his face as he looks at us and said, you believed. And you didn't even see it. And it's real. Just like he said to the believers, his disciples, hey, I'm going to rise again. Like, oh, man, you're crazy, dude. And they're sitting around three days later after he died. They're sitting in a room. Jesus shows up. Door was locked and everything. He says, look, I got, I got holes in my hands and holes in my feet. And I got a hole in my side. I'm real. Touch me. Feel me. He said, blessed are those who, or he says, you, you, you believe but you don't, you, because you see, but blessed are those who believe and yet don't see. That's us. I haven't seen Jesus. I'd love to. I think I will on earth. I'm just going to say that. I want to. I'm going to ask for it every day. Jesus, I want to see you. But I know one day I'll see him. And if you believe, you will too. And it won't be a judgment of wrath. It will be a judgment of love and blessing because you believed. That's what this is about. I don't know about you. I'm encouraged. I feel good right now. I could talk about this tomorrow night. I'll, I'll talk about this in 15 minutes again. You, you got to pull me away from this mic because I could talk about this to the day I die. Because it's real and it's true. And you have a reason to live holy. And you have a reason to praise God. And you have a reason to live holy during this New Year's time. When people want to give themselves to other things, we can give ourselves to Jesus. We can give ourselves to people. It's real. There's a real Jesus. I really lived a horrible, sinful life, never went to church before, and my God saved me and chose me, and he gave his life to me, and then I gave my life to him. It's a real deal, and it's a done deal. So I'm here as your friend, as a brother, as a pastor. Simply pastor means one who would come and encourage and oversee and help you understand what this is all about. I'm just standing here to say it's real. Keep believing. Be encouraged. Be strong. Don't question it. Don't waver. Really believe. And you know how one knows if you're really, dang, my shoe just came off. You know how one knows if you're really believing or not? The way you really know if you believe or not is how much you love people. Don't wait for a feeling to love people. Love people because of what he's done, because of what he's doing, because of what he will do, and because of who he is. Am I clear? I'm trying to be really clear because it's pretty simple and clear in the Bible. So I'm just 
trying to inspire you, motivate you. And I'm not tired. I'm like, I can keep doing it. But I'm trying to encourage us to live this life that most would say radical. I don't say it's radical. I say it's rational because of what Jesus has done. It's radical, you know, if, if your perspective is, well, that person hasn't even said hi to me. I'm not going to give them 100 bucks. That person's never, never cleaned my bedroom. My brother never did my dishes. My, 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 my sister never helped me out. It's radical if you compare among men. But when you compare with who Jesus is and you think he gave everything, well, geez, of course, my motivation is that. Well, then it's easy to give everything. What's your motivation? What's your inspiration? And what's your motive motivation to motivate others? Mine ain't changing, I hope. So, like I was saying 15 minutes ago, you can't be redundant about this. You can't be overboard. You can't be over the top. You can't talk about it too much. You can't think about him too much. You can't, you can't make him too much of an idol. He is the idol. He's the American idol. He's the Chinese idol. He's the Japanese idol. He's the European idol. He's even the North Pole idol. I don't know if Santa Claus is up there. I'm sure he ain't. But if they got any, if it's him and some reindeers, he's still the idol of Santa Claus in the North Pole. He's the idol of Antarctica. And there's like 50, Antarctica? There's like 50 people down in Antarctica. And he's still the idol of Antarctica. He's the idol of all the earth. He is the idol? He is the idol. It's Jesus. Can't stop talking. We start, can't stop thinking. We can't stop talking about what he did. So if you don't feel motivated, to love and to worship and to praise and to pray, to sing and to give your life for people. Don't think about other things. Just think about Jesus, and it becomes easy. I promise you. John said crazy things. John was the guy who was burned with tar, and they sent him on an island by himself. And John said, hey, just so you know, the commandments of God, they're not burdensome. They're actually really easy. And so if to you these commandments of loving God and loving people are hard, it's not because God's a liar. It's because you have set your mind and your motivation on the wrong thing. Because loving God and loving people is actually supposed to be easy and normal and r- rational when you have your motivation and your inspiration in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Again, I'm being redundant, but I, I just can't help it. You can't be redundancy in Jesus can't be in the same sentence. I finish with this verse, Hebrews 10:23. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. Say, let us. Come on, look, look, hit, hit the person next to you. Come on, look at them. Look at them and say, let us. Not let us, let us. Get lettuce out of your mind. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope that we affirm. You know what that is? Jesus is coming back, guys. And if he doesn't, by the time I die, it's all good. I'm still going to be with him. And I'm going to come back before everybody else. Anyway. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Who? God can be trusted to keep his promise. He ain't, he ain't going to go, you know what? I'll just mess with you guys. He can't lie. Let us. Say let us. Think of ways, say think of ways, to motivate one another. Say motivate one another. 
to acts of love and good works. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another, to spur one another on. You know what that word means? It means to provoke each other. It actually means to have an intense argument with somebody. It actually means get in their face and think of a way to stir them on and provoke them to give their life, to love people, and to do good things. Think of ways. Stir up ideas. Come up with whatever you can to talk about this person named Jesus. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Amen. Would you stand up with me, please?